Welcome to Tribes Podcast. Hey, we just want to say thank you for making this message a part of your week. Our prayer is that these messages will inspire you to make the name of Jesus famous in your life and to the uttermost bounds of the earth. If you're ever in Jackson Hole, we'd love for you to visit our tribe fam in person. To learn more about us, you can find us online or at Facebook by searching tribejh.com. All right, all right, all right, all right. Hey, let's get into God's Word together. Would you open up to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 6? That's where, that's going to be our, our cornerstone text for today, Revelation chapter 6. And I've got a doozy of a title for you. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write down the title of this morning's message. The title is Fire and Brimstone. I thought we'd get the holiday season kicked off uh, on the right foot with a little message I'm titling Fire and Brimstone. So let's get into Revelation chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 11, all right? When the Lamb broke the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. So we're going to talk today about fire and brimstone. And those two words and concepts usually smash together to combine to make up what Christians and even a lot of non-Christians would think of as the judgment of God. So that's what we're going to spend our time talking about, the judgment of God. You don't even have to be a Christian to have heard that phrase, fire and brimstone. And when you say that phrase, fire and brimstone, I wonder what comes to your mind. Or if you were to ask your friends, maybe your, your friends that don't go to church or don't know the Lord, hey, what do you think of when you hear fire and brimstone? People will say, ooh, and, uh, a mean, vengeful God, lightning bolts being flung from heaven, or this idea of judgment. Now, is that accurate? Is that detached from the God that we know and love, we were just singing worship songs to him. How can we sing worship songs to a God of judgment? People that have this idea that fire and brimstone or the judgment of God is like this, this fist coming down on humanity, they're not necessarily wrong. I mean, look at verses like Psalms 11, verse 6. He will, he, God, he will rain down blazing coals and burning sulfur on the wicked, punishing them with scorching winds. Um, when this goes to post, are we going to add a lot of the, the sound effects, and the visual visual effects? Those are going, no, those weren't in the budget. Okay, okay. All right, well, you add them yourself and just and just picture it. Our view of fire and brimstone often 
relates to or connects to or we think of the judgment of God. But it's not just scattered here and there throughout the Bible. We also see it in literature. Think of one of the the famous circuit writers, um, Jonathan Edwards. In his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he preached this on July 8th in 1741. Let me read just two different excerpts. The corruption, I don't know, is he pounding on the pulpit? I've heard that he was very monotone in his delivery, but let me just set up this sermon before I I give you the excerpt. There's a little bit of of, of a bonus. This sermon is perhaps one of the most famous sermons ever recorded outside of those that Jesus preached. It's studied in high schools and in universities uh, across America for its literary brilliance. But what many people don't know is the impact that this sermon had on the hearers. It is reported that people were literally clinging to the the, the the upright pillars that supported the church because they were absolutely gripped with conviction of the Holy Spirit that if they didn't get right with God, the ground was going to open them up and they'd be plunged into the pits of hell. And this guy, Jonathan Edwards, was a fiery revivalist. But listen to his excerpt when it comes to this idea of fire and brimstone and the judgment of God. The corruption, now it's hard not to read it with passion. Supposedly he delivered this in a very monotone way, but come on, let me, let me, let me, let me just a little bit, add a little bit of, can I do that? Just a little bit of. The corruption of the heart of man is a thing that is immoderate and boundless in its fury. And while wicked men live here, it is like fire pent up by God's restraints. Whereas if it were let loose, it would set on fire the course of nature. And as the heart is now a sink of sin, so if sin were not restrained, it would immediately turn the soul into a fiery oven, a furnace of fire and brimstone. There's those two words, fire and brimstone. Later in the sermon, as he's getting to his, so, so what do we do? This is kind of his, so what do we do with what I just told you? The use may be of wakening to unconverted persons in this congregation. That is that you have heard is this that you have heard is the case of every one of you that are out of Christ. The world of misery, that lake of burning brimstone is extended abroad under you. There is a dreadful pit of the glowing flames of the wrath of God. There is hell's wide gaping mouth open and you have nothing to stand upon, not anything to take hold of. There is nothing between you and hell but air. Tis only the power and mere pleasure of God that holds you up. You probably are not sensible of this. You found you find that you are kept out of hell, but you don't see the hand of God in it. But look at other things as the good state of your bodily constitution, your care of your own life, and the means you use for your own preservation. But indeed, these things are nothing. 
Maybe he added a pulpit pound right there. If God should withdraw his hand, they would avail no more to keep you from falling than air to hold up a person that is suspended in it. Dude, that is some amazing preaching. Perhaps that sort of idea comes to your mind as you think of this idea of fire and brimstone, the judgment of God, his anger boiling over. But I want to tell you that God is releasing a new view of judgment on planet earth. Let me say that again. God is releasing a new view of judgment on planet earth in this hour. But the question is, who will have eyes to see it? Who will have ears to hear it? But wait a minute. Aren't disasters and tragedy God's judgment against man? And when I look around, I see I would see two different types of, of disasters that people might say is the judgment of God. I would, I would think that there would be a, one category of natural disasters. For example, Hurricane Katrina, the earthquake in Haiti, the tsunami in Japan, the forest, the wildfires burning out of control in Australia, in, in California, summer after summer. Those are some pretty intense natural disasters. Is that the judgment of God? Well, what about man-made disasters and calamity? I would fit those into the categories of evil. Just like, like the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Holocaust, 9-11, horrific tragedies. Is that the hand of judgment of God? I would submit to you the answer is yes and no. I know, I know. I'm really taking a real firm, hard line here. No. You can't build a city with millions of people on the coast below sea level and when a storm comes that's literally right in the alley of natural weather patterns and have chaos and destruction sweep through every so often and say, ah, it's the judgment of God. It's the judgment of God. Is it the judgment of God? Or did you just build your path? Did you just build your city in the path of hurricanes below sea level on the coast? Eh. Is it the judgment of God? Or is it just tectonic plates that shift naturally? And when those earthquakes happen, on land, you get devastating earthquakes like we saw in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, a number of years ago. Or just off the coast of Japan that triggered a giant tsunami. So, are disasters and tragedy God's judgment against man? No. But also, yes. Listen, God is sovereign. He says in the book of Isaiah, my ways are higher than your ways. And if you want to get mad at 
God. Don't direct it at Christians. Don't direct it at churches. Churches don't, don't execute judgment. Maybe in history they used to try. We've learned. We've moved on. Don't get mad at churches. Don't get mad at Christians. Take that matter up directly with God. And here's what he will tell you. He will quote his own words from the book of Isaiah. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. What that means is he is sovereign. And before you go to argue with God about disasters and calamity that unfold around the world that, that would be the judgments of God, before you go marching into the throne room to take it up with God, I would invite you to read a little book from the Bible called Job. Because he sat down and had it out with God. And I love the nature and character of God that comes through in the book of Job. He actually takes the time to reason with man and try to explain it to man by saying, you're coming in here all hot under the collar, Job. And you're demanding answers from me as if you know it all? Since you know so much, Job, let me just ask you this. Who drew the boundary between the ocean and the land? Who stretched out the heavens? Who calls forth the animals and all of creation? Who makes the, the, the seasons stop and begin and on and on? And Job was like, who? I just sit in dust and I cover myself with ashes. You, God, all eternity are sovereign. And God can use natural disasters. He can use, not that he creates it or that he, he instigates it, but at times he can authorize it under his authority for the purpose to accomplish his will and good plan on planet earth for mankind and for all of the events in the universe is your brain hurting yet we got to keep going <clears throat> when you read the back of this book we were just in revelation you will see that on planet Earth, more and more disasters and calamities are coming our way. More catastrophic events will unfold. And many will have the wrong view of judgment, of the judgment of God. Many around the world and heartbreakingly, many in the church will adopt or hold on to or cling to a wrong view of the judgments of God. What's the purpose of this, me of this message and conversation that we're having here today? It's to begin to provide some additional clarity that you can grab a hold of so that as things unfold in an ever-increasing scale of frequency and amplitude, you will not be left on the side of ignorance when it comes to the judgments of God, specifically in, in, in terms of fire 
and brimstone. Most in the world and heartbreakingly many in the church, far be it from anyone that ever listens to this podcast or in our tribe fam or watches this live stream will find themselves on this side. But I would say most in the world and many, many, many in the church will land on the side of anger and bitterness and resentment towards the hand of God, causing even more to fall away. How could God do this? How could he let this happen? How could God intentionally cause this? What about a just God? What about a loving God? What about a merciful God? Imagine a child as a parent. I'm sure this has never happened to you. But has has your child ever shaken their fist in rage at you and said, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you? Because you've put up a boundary in their life that's for their good, for their safety. They can't even see the direction that they're headed. But you've set a boundary and you love them so much that you're willing to allow them to pound on your chest and spit in your face. I hate you. That takes a lot of forbearance. Most will land on the side of anger and bitterness, causing even more to fall away. Some will have gained understanding. They will understand the true nature and character of God. They will understand God's objective behind the judgments, fire and brimstone. And many, and and some, some will be able to, to, to march in step with Jesus's cadence of leadership. Well, now, no, 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 wait, 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 let's take a pause right there. Why are we talking about Jesus's leadership when we're talking about the, the judgments of God? Well, do you remember how this verse started? Remember, as we were reading at the top of our conversation, Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, who is it that is breaking not only the fifth seal, but all of the seals? Who? Who is breaking the seals? The lamb. Jesus. It is Jesus that will be breaking the seals of judgment in the end times. So those who shake their fist, those who are confused, those who are dismayed, those who rage, those who are angry and bitter, those who would claim to follow Jesus but yet shake their fists in anger, why are you letting this happen? You're out of step. You're out of harmony. You're out of synchronization with the leadership of Jesus. The Holy Spirit has put this on my heart to share with you now so that when those times come, you won't find yourself out of step with the leadership of Jesus. Is that making sense? Let's zoom in on verse 10. Look at verse 10. They, martyred saints, who are beneath the altar, are shouting, How long, O Lord, until dot, 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 until 
what? Until you bring peace on earth? Until we get our new bodies? Until you show the whole world that you are the way and the truth of the light? That's not what they're shouting. How long, O Lord, until you show the world how kind you are, that you're real, that you are the author and creator, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the architect of the entire universe? That is not what they say. How long until you judge the people of this world and avenge our blood? Sometimes I like like to read the Bible thinking in terms of a mad lib. No, 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 now hear me out. I'm not saying that that I like to think uh, when I read the Bible in terms of, oh, I'm just going to fill in the words that I want and make up a, a completely different story. That's not what I'm saying. But I like to read the Bible in terms of fill in the blank questions. And a great place to use that fill-in-the-blank reading technique is when you, for example, when you see that word until, put a blank after that, until, read the question again, and then ask yourself, well, what would I fill in? What would, what would the world fill in? What does the church today, how would they fill in that blank? And use those different answers like we just did to compare with the solid foundation of the Word of God. How does the Word of God fill in that blank? How long, O Lord, until judgment? Is that what you would have used to fill in that blank? If not, thank goodness we've got a little bit of time left to get in step with the leadership of Jesus and the the truth of the word of God. How long until judgment? It's interesting that the saints under the altar are asking that question. It means they're asking that question for one of two possible reasons. Number one, they're sour and they just want revenge. How long, O Lord, until revenge, judgment, Get them. I lost my family in the arena, in the Colosseum. I lost my family being drug out of their house. I lost my head. I lost my life because I wouldn't take the mark of the beast. Get them. Or they know something about fire and brimstone judgment that we don't quite see yet. The judgment of God is often portrayed as fire and brimstone. So it's probably worth us spending a little bit of time diving into those two words of fire and of brimstone. So let's do this. Let's look at a few examples. And, and we're not going to take the time to, to turn there. The best that you can do, whether you're listening to the podcast or watching the live stream, is write down these addresses so that you can come back and unpack these. 
all right? Write this first address down. Genesis chapter 19, verse 24. This is a story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then the Lord rained down fire and burning brimstone from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. Psalms 11.6, we read this already. He will rain burning coals and brimstone on the wicked. A scorching wind will be their portion. And listen to this, Ezekiel 38.22. Please write these down. I'll judge them with disease and bloodshed. I'll shower him, his soldiers, and the vast army that accompanies him with a torrential flood, hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Fire and brimstone. Fire and brimstone. Let's look at each one of these. Why fire? Here at Tribe, we've, we've, we've spent a good amount of time over this last year or two talking about this idea of fire. Yes, it destroys. Yes, it burns. Yes, it can consume. Yes, it can be destructive. But many times, fire is used by God for exposing, for purifying. Write down this definition of fire as it relates to God. Fire is an expression of his great love. Fire is an expression of his great love. Just a few examples of that. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24. Write that down. The Lord your God is a devouring or consuming fire. He is a jealous God. Not jealous in terms of our human understanding. His jealousy is pure. It is righteous. It is divine. It is uncorrupted with sin. Jealousy, which we don't... God's jealousy, we don't have time to go into it, but one of... The facets of God's character, of God's character, is that He is a jealous God. Woo! Oh, that's so good. You unpack that. Have the Holy Spirit help you. Listen to Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 8. Write that down. From the Passion Translation, it says this: Fasten me upon your heart as a seal of fire forevermore. This living, consuming flame will seal you as my prisoner of love. My passion is stronger than the chains of death and the grave, all-consuming as the very flashes of fire from the burning heart of God. Place this fierce, unrelenting fire over my entire being. So when fire happens, which is it? An expression of destruction or is it an expression of God's love? You better learn to discern the difference now and be willing to be okay with both and. This is Pastor Brian giving you a little kiss to soften and ease you up because I feel like I'm kind of petting the cat the wrong way a little bit. One of, uh, one of the pastors that I sat under in Tulsa would say, if, 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 the, if you feel like you're being rubbed the wrong way like a cat, turn the cat around. Meaning, might need to change your thinking. Fire, but brimstone 
Have you ever wondered what brimstone is and why it's used in the physical expression of the judgment of God's, uh, God's judgment? Brimstone. What is brimstone? Brimstone, in the simplest sense, and it might be right there in the translation of your Bible, brimstone is sulfur. Sulfur is yucky. Did you, here's a few facts about sulfur. Sulfur makes up 3% of the earth's entire mass. Do you know that stinky smell when hair is singed? It gives off that foul smell. That's due to the presence of sulfur, that element of sulfur that's, that's in our hair. Did you know that it's sulfur in onions that makes your eyes tear up when you're cutting an onion? The main culprit is, B, is hydrogen sulfide gas, which is present in the onion. It gets released when you cut into it. When this gas comes in contact with your eye, it irritates your eye and your brain says, flush it out, flush it out. And tears pour out of your pores in order to wash away the irritant. Here's something else about sulfur. And on the live stream, and if you're listening to the podcast out loud, it would really go a long way if you scratch your chin and go, hmm, when I tell you that pure sulfur is not stinky at all. So our understanding of sulfur to be avoided, stinky, an irritant, uh, uh, something uh, not good. But in order to get a better understanding of this idea of fire and brimstone, we need to rewind the clock of history and get an ancient perspective of sulfur. Sulfur comes from an Arabic word, sufra, that means yellow. Another good place for a Go ahead. Mm. <laughs> In Mongolian culture, sulfur was used as a preservative. What? Now, I'm going to look at Lissy as I tell this story, but if any of you have ever been to Mongolia, and if you've ever picked up from a little countryside roadside stand a two-liter bottle of fermented mare's milk, oh, <laughs> When we were in Mongolia, all along the country, all across the country, they'd pull over these little roadside stands, and it was like a, you know, like a, a seven-up two-liter bottle with the label taken off, and that's where they would uh, put fermented mare's milk and then sell it. Yeah, yeah. Jacob had the nice stuff from the grocery store. I'm talking about this country, like homebrew variety, and they would drink mare's milk, fermented mare's milk. And then like every so often, and we'd see Venus, one of our drivers, he would break off a, a match head, a sulfur match head, and throw it into the mare's milk two-liter bottle. Remember that? And then screw the lid on. And we're like, ew, Venus, what are you doing? And he would say, it's to, uh, to make so the mare's milk doesn't go bad. It's like to preserve the mare's milk. So it was used as a preservative. And in my American mind, I'm thinking, did you not catch the part about fermented? It's literally gone bad. 
And that's what you're drinking. And you want to pray. There were so many times in Mongolia that we were just like, whoo, okay, okay. But rewind the, the rewind history a, a little bit further, well into the 19th century. Sulfur dioxide was used to fumigate entire uh, uh, building blocks and apartment buildings in places like Manhattan and New York and other uh, metropolitan cities to, to um, um, like in, in 1889, there was, um, there was a paper that, that talked about the New York City Health Department had to fumigate uh, an entire building to try to um, uh, prevent a spread or clean or, or purify these apartments from an outbreaks of smallpox or scarlet fever, diphtheria, and the measles. So whenever these, this outbreak would happen in these apartment buildings, they would get all the people out of these apartment buildings and then fumigate the entire building with this sulfur dioxide to try to purify the air and to try to purify everything that was touching the, the air. Sulfur is, is prevalent. It's, it's ubiquitous throughout Israel and the surrounding Middle East. And as late as 4,000 years ago in ancient Egyptian texts, sulfur was used as a divine incense, used for the purpose of purification and as medicine and healing. So when we take this idea of sulfur, eliminate our contemporary like yucky, stinky connotations of sulfur, but rewind it back in Sumerian history, back in Bible times, sulfur or brimstone is used for purification and for healing. Brimstone. The idea associated with brimstone is that its use is for purification and for healing. Quick little bonus, quick little Hebrew linguistic bonus. Remember when God said made the ark out of gopher wood? What is gopher wood? Some people think it's a specific species of wood. Some people think it's from the, the resin of wood, but it needed to be covered coated inside and out with this gopher wood. Is it tar? Is it pitch? Is it resin? Well, the same word that's used for gopher is the same root word for brimstone or for sulfur. Is it possible that the inside and the outside of the ark were covered in some type of Sulfur? Now, whether it physically was or wasn't, I love the idea behind it, that the ark was covered inside and out, protecting the occupants with this idea of healing and purification. Just let that sit in there for a little bit. Now we got to land the plane and put these two words together to come up with a new concept.
Let's put the fire together, the burning heart of God as an expression of love for his people, combined with brimstone, this idea of purification and of healing. Fire and brimstone. The judgment of God is ultimately intended to be seen as an expression of his great love and relentless commitment to bringing us back into his family. Say that one more time. Fire and brimstone, the judgment of God. Keep that in mind. When you read through the book of Revelation, and we see natural disasters unfolding around the, around the world. Banking systems in the global economy collapsing. Agricultural industry being burned up and crumbling. Governments of the world becoming more corrupt and nation going to war against nation as these judgment seals are broken fire and brimstone being unleashed on planet earth. The judgment of God, listen, listen, is ultimately, ultimately intended to be seen as an expression of his great love and relentless commitment to bringing us back into his family. Love purification and healing coming together will you be able to see it in the midst of calamity in the coming days or what you might even go through this coming week I love what Mike Bickle says about the judgments of God the judgments of God are designed to remove anything that hinders love whoo In the same way that the ark was surrounded by this gopher wood, the church triumphant will be surrounded with love and purified healing in this coming flood that we will go through. Would you close your Bible, close your eyes? Let's just see if the Holy Spirit can help us. Not if he's able. Of course he's able. Let's just surrender our hearts for him to grease the skids and make that 18-inch drop from our thinker down to our knower. That's where transformation happens. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. It's a water bottle.
Jesus, with our hearts softened by the preaching of the word, we are tender, our hearts and our mind are tender and malleable. We are ready to have this, it's not just a concept, but it's going to be a reality. A fire and brimstone, our understanding. Here we go. We are ready to have our understanding of fire and brimstone to be shaped and molded to come into alignment with who you are and how you roll and what you're going to do in these coming days. Will our hearts break for loss of life, for calamity and disaster and uncertainty? Of course. Of course. But ultimately, we're asking for a proper understanding and to be in step with your leadership so that as we see fire and brimstone and perhaps even literally coming down from the sky in the days ahead, we will not respond with anger and bitterness and turning away, but we will, we will respond as an equally yoked bride like the martyrs under the altar, saying, how long, O Lord, until judgment your fire and brimstone, your passionate love and your purifying and your healing are released on planet Earth. <sighs> because it will be the lamb that is breaking open the seals that releases your judgment. Lord Jesus, I command a blessing to rest over each and every member of our tribe fam, wherever they faithfully gather to be a part of the saints. Lord, would you bless them? God, would you bless them with, with getting in step with your leadership, Jesus, so that our hearts can simultaneously break at, at tragedy and the loss of human life and the loss of the loss that happens with the judgment of God, but simultaneously we will be able to praise you and rejoice as we join with our voices. Our voices will join with the saints in heaven, crying out, how long, O Lord, until your judgments are complete, knowing that the judgments of God, fire and brimstone, are an expression of your passionate love and a desire to see impurities purified from the world and that healing will be released. We thank you for your fire and brimstone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said, Amen.
I love you so very much. If there's anything that we can do to love you or serve you, just grab a hold of us. You know how to reach out to us here at Tribe. I want you to have a great week. And remember, you got this.